Thank you for joining us for this sermon. We are currently in a foundational series here at Hope called The Life of a Jesus Follower. As we make our way through this sermon series, we want to come alongside you and your family. That is why we launched JesusFollower.com. This website is full of helpful resources for you and your family. Before we get to the sermon, we just wanna make you aware of a couple things. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Enjoy the message. Amen. 11.30, you never know where Teddy's going. You just kind of hang out up here and wait for it. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I first walked into Hope Church when I was 21 years old. I walked in the doors of Hope Church for the first time. And shortly after I began attending Hope Church, we were beginning a brand new slick sermon series called The Life of a Jesus Follower. For me, I've been a Christian for just a couple years. Um, and I just remember, this is 2008, and I just remember my whole life was like blown. Like I was just like, wow, this, these foundational, transformational things that we were talking about in this series. And here we are, 12 years later, and we are right in the middle, if you're brand new to us today, of a sermon series called The Life of a Jesus Follower. You say you do the same sermon series? Yeah, every four years. We so believe in the stuff that we're teaching in these seven weeks. We so believe that they will transform your relationship with Jesus that we actually do it every four years. So this is my fourth time through this sermon series. And here's really the, the heartbeat behind this series is we are unpacking the biblical reality of what it really means to follow Jesus. And it's actually very different than maybe if you're here jumping in for the first time or definitely different than the people that you do life with and work with and go to school with. Most of the United States of America and the Western world view what we're doing here in this place right now as a religious exercise. And so this series is pushing back on the idea that this is a religious thing and we're talking about what it looks like to really follow Jesus. And the best way to do that is to see what Jesus did. And so we take the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels. It's basically the story of Jesus' life. And we follow him around, if you will, through the pages of history. And we look, what did Jesus' life look like when he lived on planet Earth? And you be, might be surprised to know that it wasn't all about a religious system. In fact, if you just follow Jesus around, and this is going to be a recap for some of you that have been a part of the first four weeks of the series. Pastor Vance did a great job unpacking this in week one. But if you really follow Jesus around, his life didn't revolve around religion. It revolved around some very, very key relationships. So the first relationship is we just peel back the pages of history and read about Jesus' life is his relationship with God the Father. So Jesus is God the Son, and his relationship with God the Father is evident all over the Gospels. He's talking to God. He's praying to God. He's in communion with God. And so as we live lives of Jesus' followers, we will also have a relationship with God the Father. And so for each of these, we've given kind of a, a key word that helps unpack these relationships. So our, our first key word to, to describe our relationship with God is the word abide. So you and I are called to abide in Christ. 
But that's not the only relationship Jesus had while he was on the earth. If you follow him around through the pages of history, he also has a relationship with his disciples, the people that, that, that were following him, right? Follower, Jesus followers, he had a relationship with them. And so as we follow Jesus, we will also have a relationship with the people that are following Jesus. Our key word for this relationship is connect. So we abide in Christ and the overflow of that abiding relationship with God flows into a connect relationship, a community relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But those aren't the only two relationships that Jesus had while he's on the earth. If you study Jesus' life, he loved God. He had a relationship with his disciples and he also had a relationship with the people that didn't know God at all. And so you see him talking to people that are outcasts in the society. And, and people like Jesus shouldn't be talking to these kind of people, but he had a mission. And so he was on mission with his relationships with the people that didn't know God at all. Again, as we follow Jesus, we have a relationship with God, a relationship with his people, and a relationship with the world. Our key word for that relationship is the word share. So when we understand that, that, that this is what Jesus' life looked like in the New Testament, this is, this is what Jesus' life looked like. As we follow Jesus, we ask the question, what will, his what will his life look like now? Well, the answer is the same thing. As he lives his life in and through us, we will have a relationship with God that spills into a relationship with other believers, that spills into a relationship with the people that don't know God at all. And so the, the banner over this the whole sermon series is going to be on the screen that the life of a Jesus follower is all about, say that word out loud with me, relationships. My relationship with God is designed to be lived out in community. And my biblical community, the overflow of that is going to be living on mission. And we're going to see people start to take notice of what we're doing. And last week, Pastor Travis began a conversation specifically zeroing in on the connect relationship what it looks like to connect with other believers. And so by way of a couple minutes of, inter of recap, I want to kind of share with you what we learned last week as we unpacked what does the Bible say our relationship with one another should look like. Pastor Travis gave us sentences like this. When you began a relationship with God, you began a relationship with God's family. Like, like it or not, that's just the reality. Like, we're, you're my family and I'm your family for better or worse because I have a relationship with God, I have a relationship with God's family. And in the Bible, God's family is called the church. Now, some of you hear that word and you have a bunch of different thoughts, right? Some people will hear that word, maybe you, maybe people you know. I have friends that think this. And when they hear church, they want to call a timeout and say, listen, I love God. I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not about the church. But the reality is you can't read the New Testament very far and find Christianity without community or without the church. There's not a lot of highlighted Christians throughout the New Testament living life on a Christian island around nobody else who's following Jesus. It's just not there. Christianity is to be lived out in community. And so as we begin today, I want to ask that question. And I, want, I don't want you to answer out loud. But when you hear the word church, what comes to your mind? For you, maybe when you hear the word church, you think of a building or you think of what we're doing right now. In fact, we've kind of given ourselves a disservice as a culture because we said, get the kids in the car, get dressed. We are going today to church. This is church, right? The lights, the, the music, the, the setting, one guy talking, everyone listening. You got a cool environment for the kids. This is church, a building. 
Maybe for others that you thought and you think, like a lot of people I know, that when you hear church, they think religion. They think rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. Or maybe, like we're going to talk about today, when you think of church, maybe like me, this is the first time you've, or this is the fourth time you've been through life of a Jesus follower, and you understand when you hear the word church, you think about your people, like your community. Like when I think of church, I'm thinking of the people of Hope Church. We, we so believe that the church is not a building or a religious system. It is a people that we've kind of come up with a mantra that you will hear if you spend a lot, enough time at Hope, you will hear this mantra. It's going to be on the screen. Church is not an event we attend. Church is a family to which we, we belong. Like, I'm telling you right now, I, I so believe that because I, I've grown up here in some sense at Hope Church. Like, this is not a place for me, an event, a, a thing that I do on Sundays. The Hope Church family is my family. Like I said, I've been coming here since I was 21 years old. My wife and I were not married at the time. We were dating, and so I got married at Hope Church. I began having kids at Hope Church. Me and my wife now have four kids. And so a lot of you guys, I'm looking in the audience and seeing faces of guys that I've learned how to be a father from. Like, this is not just an event or a thing that me and my wife do. Hope Church has changed my family. Because it is my family. So we're going to look at a passage of, of, of Scripture today. And I, I hope to really drill down. And I'm praying that God would just use messages like this in this series to really, like it did for me in 2008, transform the way we view following Jesus. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 2. We spent some time in Acts chapter 2 last week. And we're going to spend some more time in it this week. And before we read a few verses, I want to set the context so right before what we're about to read, this amazing thing takes place. Jesus has already been crucified for the sin of the world. He rose three days later. We get to celebrate that coming up with Easter. He reappears to his disciples, resurrected Savior, and he begins a movement that is known as Christianity. And he says, I'm actually going to leave you, but I'm going to send you with the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's better for you. And so there's an event where there's thousands of people hanging out and the Holy Spirit of God falls and amazing. God just does a work and is a move and 3,000 people, the Bible says, say yes to a relationship with Jesus and what is born in that moment is a church, is a community, a people. They didn't call them Christians back then. They, they literally referred to them as the way. This is a, a different kind of group of people following this risen Savior. You can look back in history. You can put the Bible aside for a minute and just look at history. And people will show you all throughout history. People who love Jesus or people who don't. There was something radical that was happening with this way. So right before what we're about to read, that's what happened. Holy Spirit of God falls. 3,000 people get saved. There's just it's like, wow, God showed up. And check out what happens in verse 42 of chapter 2. They, that's these people that just experienced that move of God, were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
This is a beautiful and honestly challenging portion of Scripture. I spent a lot of time this week just looking at it going, wow. What a beautiful, pure picture of doing life together. Here's what I love. I love that you read that and it's amazing, but here's what wasn't in there. And then they invited the really, really fancy speaker that blew them all away with how good he was at talking. Right? They didn't say, then they invited the, the hot worship team that was all over the billboard charts on worship because they really wanted to conjure up the presence of God. And so they invited the best worship team they could find. These are just people who love the Lord, getting after him together and praying and devoting themselves. And God was doing an amazing thing. See, that's one of the obstacles we face in our world, in our Western 2020 world is Everything has been on purpose by marketing agencies and the world we live in individualized to meet all of our specific needs. Right? Think about when you go home, you can turn on your Netflix and you got your own little Netflix so you don't have to worry about all your kids, right? Because all the kids stuff is just kids. So I got my own Netflix and when I click that thing, guess what happens? It's tailor-made to what I want to watch. I open up Spotify or Apple Music, guess what happens? It's going to say, hey, here's your Friday. It's all the new music comes out and here's all the stuff you probably want to hear, Scott. And our lives are always individualized and it's very individualistic. The problem is we try to spill that and it unintentionally goes into our view of the church. So we start to think, unintentionally of course, but we start to think that the church exists for me and we don't realize that we actually exist for the church to become a body. And again, the New Testament knows nothing of Christianity without community. See, we often think, and I've been guilty of this, but we often think that me walking into a church service like this and, and being a part of this, we, we've checked our box of I, I've related to God's family. I've connected with community, and I'm, I'm good for the week. And the problem is we've taken something that God clearly says in his word is a necessity for us as Jesus followers. And if I'm honest and you're honest, sometimes I don't look at it as a necessity. I look at it as optional. Like if my kids don't have that travel team I got to be a part of. Or I don't have that game or thing I want to be a part of. Or we're coming up on some really good weather. And so if I don't want to lounge by the pool, I might be a part of my family. And we see in God's word that that is actually missing his best for us. And we're going to see that in this passage of scripture. We read passages like we just read. And this isn't like, if you, you can read that and understand, like, this, is, this wasn't an option for them. Like, this is their life. They are doing life together. As followers of Jesus, we live out our relationship with God together. And we see that in there. In two ways, we see it being manifested. In large group, it said they went from in the temple courts, they were breaking bread in the temple. So that would be like what we're doing here today, right? This is not a wrong thing. This is an awesome thing. People like this are gathering together all over the world today. People gathering under, under broken down buildings because that's all they could afford in Thailand or under, under trees in Africa, all over the world, God's people gather together, sing praises to him. Somebody opens up the word and shares all over the world. That's happening right now. That happened in the New Testament. That's what they were doing, breaking bread in the temple. But it also says they were gathering from house to house. So we know that a lot of you guys are in small groups. What does that look like? It looks like you guys getting together for a meal getting together for some coffee. Somebody brought potluck style and everyone's showing up. Why? To get around the word to talk about what the Lord is doing in our lives. Every generation of Jesus followers since the Bible 
have done that. This isn't like a new thing. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. Church as we know it, this isn't a new thing. This is a New Testament thing. We see this large group, small group, God's people gathering together as his family. So what we're going to do is drill down a little bit into this passage in hopes to answer the question, why is community so important? Why is community with other believers so important? I'm going to give you three reasons right out of this text. Here's the first one. We need others to grow in intimacy with God. As soon as I say that, some of you are like, man, I feel that already. I don't even need any explanation. I, I've, I've felt that. We need each other to grow in intimacy with God. It says there in verse 42, they were devoting themselves. This is a passionate, passionate word. They were devoting, what were they devoting themselves to? It says to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Here's what happened. When they got together, Jesus was at the center. They were devoting themselves to the things of God. And that's important. Because a lot of times we as Christians can get together and it might look like a small group, but we're talking about all this other stuff that doesn't really have to do with God deepening our relationship with him. So notice it doesn't say that they were, they were really getting after, you know, conversation with each other. And they were talking about who was winning the, the Jerusalem Democratic primary of the day. Doesn't say that. They weren't pursuing, hey, did you hear about that new sale they had down the road for a new temple robe you could get this week? You should go grab it. Their doing life together was centered on Jesus and what he was doing. Check this out. It was his, their relationship with God that was deepening their relationship with each other. But it was their relationship with each other that was deepening their relationship with God. I want to just pause here just a minute in the middle of the message. One of my favorite books of the Bible that I started reading right when I got saved in high school was the book of Psalms. And all throughout the book of Psalms, you'll notice a five-letter word that's actually a musical term. It's the word selah. And it literally means pause, stop, think about what you just read. So as we're talking about community, it'd be very easy to just blaze on through and keep going down the message. But I just want to pause right here for a minute and have a little selah moment. Their relationship with God had brought them into a relationship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. But it was their relationship with their brothers and sisters in Christ that was deepening their relationship with God. I want you to ask yourself, no, no raise of hands. Is that true of your life? Think about your relationships. Are you closer to Jesus today because of people in the Hope Church family that have brought you closer to Jesus by their relationship with you. By that time at Starbucks when they spoke into your life, by that small group where you grew closer and you didn't know what to do, but you got some clarity because your group came around you. That is God's best for us. Is that true of your life? If the answer is yes, praise God. Keep on going. We're going to need that our whole lives. If you would say, yeah, man, that's true. I've seen my relationship with Jesus grow because of the people in my life. Amen. Keep on going. But if you were honest today and you'd say, man, I don't, I don't think that's true. Listen, this isn't condemnation. This isn't shame. I've been there. But this is a moment, a Selah moment for you to pause and see what the word of God has said and realize that that is God's best for you. That's literally how he designed this thing to work. We are not island Christians just trying to do our best on our own. Get up and read our Bibles every morning and not have no community with other people. Praise God, you're getting in the word. But you need me and I need you. We need each other. I love Pastor Travis last week used a great illustration that we can all understand. 
we're watching the Discovery Channel and that guy with the really awesome English accent comes along and he's explaining this scene and we see this lion approaching a lake and it pans over and you got a group of, of antelopes sitting by the lake. But then it keeps panning and there's this one antelope dude over here just doing his own thing. Whether he thinks he found like a better spot of the lake or he's just distracted or he's just annoyed with what the other antelope are doing, guess who's in trouble in that situation? The dude by himself. Every single time. The lion's gonna pass up the pack and he's going for the one that's by himself. We see this in nature and we see this in the word of God. If you are not in a group of people, I'm not talking about just a small group, I'm not talking about you got people around you doing life with. You are alone and susceptible to the enemy. But when you got the protection of the pack around you, people that can see things in your life and say, hey, do you see that in your life? I want to help you because that's my job and that's your job in my life is to help each other deepen our relationship with Jesus. See, there's this really important phrase that pops up all over the New Testament. Jesus used it, John used it, Mark used it, Paul, Peter, all the big wigs of the New Testament use this phrase. And it's a phrase that has everything to do with our relationship to each other. It's used all over the New Testament. It's the phrase, one another. Over 40 times, this phrase, one another, shows up using to describe our relationship with each other. Examples are, it says like, be at peace with one another. Give preference to one another and honor. Be kind to one another. Build one another up. Do not complain against one another. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Again, that's only like seven of them. There's over 40. And here's what I can promise you, you would do like me. If we listed all 40 out here, you would look at an almost impossible list to attain. And that's the point. Only through my relationship with Jesus can I truly love you and serve you and as my one another like God has called me to love you and serve you. So I need Jesus to love you the way he's called me to love you. You and I can't live this thing out by ourselves. Here's another way to say it. There are things about God you will never learn apart from my community with you and your community with me. It's him at work in us. Here's a biblical reality to hopefully help frame this up before we move on. God can use all the relationships in my life to deepen my relationship with him. I know we're really harping on this, but this is important. God can use all my relationships. Notice it says all, and it's underlined. Not just some, not just most, not just the good ones all relationships. And why do I say that? Because let's be honest, there's two categories of relationships within the family. First of all, there are easy relationships. We love that one, right? These are relationships built on trust and transparency. And, 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 and there's, there's history there. I, I'm looking at my boy right here, Caleb. Kay, I've known Caleb since he was like 12 years old. I was actually a student pastor here at Hope. Now we just do life together. Here's what I know. That's an easy relationship. Me and, me and Caleb are spurring each other on in life. We are helping each other follow Jesus in better ways as we have conversations. Listen, that's an easy relationship. And guess what? God is using Caleb in my life and hopefully me in his life to grow him closer to Jesus. That's easy. But there's another category of relationship. Hard relationships. You say, there's hard relationships within the family of God? Listen, you haven't been in the family of God very long because yes, there are hard relationships. We all have these relationships. 
That's what a family is, right? We all have these relationships. And even as I'm saying this, maybe some names are popping off in your head of those hard conversations you've had to have with your family. By family, I mean the church, the people you do life with, your people. And let me just again pause and kind of push into that tension. If right now you don't have any names of hard relationships you've had over the years as following Jesus, let me challenge you that you might not be as connected in the community as you think. You say, I'm not with you on that one. You're going to have to explain it. I'll use my family as an example. I said it earlier, my wife and I have four kids, 10, 8, 6, and 5. Let me just say my house is wild. Like we have people that maybe just have babies in their house or, or, or maybe they don't have any kids and they kind of just, we t- like we'll be having a conversation with those people in our home and they can't imagine that we can understand what they're saying and we just tune it out. My wife and I are just like deaf to it. And they're like, I don't know how you do this on a daily basis. Our house is wild, but it's fun. But let me tell you what's true. Our kids are constantly doing life together. Listen, you take four kids all around the same age, they are constantly doing make-believe together and dress-ups and all this stuff. They are having a blast together. But here's the deal. You take little sinners in a house, a close proximity, and constantly doing life together. Here's the answer to that equation. Little sinners, close proximity, constantly living life together. The answer is war. Like, parents, you'll get this. There's times I talk to a couple after the last service, they're like, we're living in the war, right? Like, I come home from work sometimes, and my wife, Candace, is just looking at me, kind of giving me that glossed over look, like, do something right now. And here's what I could do as a dad. I could referee that situation like this. All right, Bryce, you're over here. Here's a tablet. Don't talk to anybody. Avery, you're over here. Here's some coloring books. Don't talk to anybody. Blaine, you're over here. Aria, you're over here. I got four kids, four spaces in the house, and mom is a happy camper. And guess what would happen the next day? There'd be peace. It'd be really boring. But if you play that out of our time, here's what you wouldn't say my, my house is. You would not say that's a family. No, that's prison. There's kids all over the house in different areas and nobody ever does life together. When you take people who love each other and put them together in a family and say, do life together, live life together, here's what you're going to get. Hard conversations sometimes, conflict sometimes, things that you don't like sometimes. So you have those. And let me tell you, if you don't have those, maybe you're not as connected to the family as God would have you to be. Because of sin, conflict, misunderstanding, difficult circumstances, there are times where I have hard relationships within my family at Hope Church. And here's what the Bible would say. God uses all relationships. In God's sovereignty, we believe that he is at work right now using the family, the easy and the hard, to make me more and more like Jesus. So that's the first reason we need community, to grow in our intimacy with God. Here's the second reason We need community. We need others to walk through the ups and downs of life. All of us walk through moments of celebration and moments of suffering. We all have sorrow. We all have pain. We all have great days and bad days. God has brought us together as a family to help each other walk through those moments. We've done some work here at Hope to to really challenge you for that. If you hang out at Hope along a lot, we're going to tell you this. We're going to ask you this question. Who are your 2 a.m. friends? You say, what does that mean? That means the floor of your life drops out from underneath you. Who is it that's a part of the Hope Church family that you're going to call and say, I need you right now? 
You say, I don't know if I have that. I would challenge you. Get involved in this family. Connect on a deeper level so that when, not if, when something goes wrong in your life and you need that help. Because not everybody, every place in life is a, is, a, is a hill. Sometimes we go through valleys. Hopefully there will be people in my life that it's going to be awkward. I know it's the middle of the night, but I got to call them because I need my family. And we see that in this passage of scripture. Believers are gathering in large group and small group. We don't know what happened, if there was a financial crisis or if there was a, a death in the family. But we see out of nowhere, we see some sort of need arise in the community. So the community becomes aware of the situation. We just read it. You can do back your homework later and read it again. But let me see, let me show you what it does not say they did. It does not say they said, man, that stinks. I'm really sorry that happened. I'll, I'll be thinking about you. Oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear about it. Good luck finding a way out of that. Or even this one. Man, I'm so sorry. I'll be praying that God steps in and does something. Here's what they did do. And let me just be really transparent. This wrecked me this week. Wrecked me. Here's what they did do. They began sharing and selling their own stuff. They prayed for them, but they also jumped in, rolled their sleeves up, and got involved. They said, that's my people, and I'm helping my people. That's God's desire. This is like sacrificial love that honestly, when we read it, even maybe when we read it earlier, you're going, wow, that's like different than what we experience here in 2020. But what if it didn't have to be? What if Christ in us was overflowing in such a way that when I see my people in need, I step in and I sacrificially love them. This is the church. This is our blueprint. We look at Acts chapter 2 and we go, man, that'd be cool one day, huh? No, that is our marching orders. Step in like that. And I got to thinking, and I got an imagination, so I kind of just went wild on it this week. And I thought, imagine if the church started doing that. Like not you guys, like I'm thinking me, I really personalize. Imagine if Scott Worthington and the Worthington family really started getting this and really started serving people with this sacrificial love and it caught on and everybody at Hope Church was just this radical expression of God's love overflowing into community. Imagine in this crazy political scene that we're in right now, how little we would need to talk about what that side says about social justice and that side says about reform, how little we would need to talk about that because the church was just getting it done. That'd be radical. And we hear that and we think, come on, man. Because it rubs against everything we're taught in the Western world. Get all you can, Scott. Take care of your own, meaning the people with your last name. And maybe, only if it doesn't hurt the bottom line, it doesn't hurt your time and your schedule and your kids' sports, maybe then lend a hand. Acts chapter 2 says something very different. So I evaluated that this week. For me, I asked myself this question, am I meeting needs within the body of Christ? Listen, we're not just talking financial, we're talking time, resources. Immediately, if you're like me, it goes to like selling my stuff and giving people money, maybe. But imagine if we all evaluated and took a step towards saying yes. Because I assure you, we all walk through hills and valleys and when I make that call at 2 a.m., I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying somebody picks up and enters in to the mess with me and helps me. So on this end of it, I want to be that person who's doing that. I want to be that person who's seeing the need 
and stepping in and saying, man, I, wanna, I, I know you need community to walk through the highs and lows of life. So why do we need community? First, to grow in intimacy with Jesus. Second, to walk through the ups and downs of life. And here's the last one as we finish up. We need others to accomplish the mission. The last two verses of this passage are honestly seeming, seemingly a little like weird. Because you've got this amazing picture of the, the church doing the church and, and just totally living life together and in community. And then it says in verses 46 and 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. What's happening here? As this community of believers was getting after the Lord together, doing life together, caring for each other, stepping in on behalf of each other, people in the city took notice. And they would, right? Like if we really saw a radical expression of community happen amongst the people of Hope Church, guess who would pay attention? The people in your workplace, the people in your family, the people at your bus stop, at your school. People would start to go, something's different about that crew. And it makes sense. Did you know that when Jesus tells us to make disciples, he never tells that to an individual? He always tells that to a group of people. He never just says, hey, little man over here doing your thing and living on your Christian island, go make disciples. He always tells a group of Christians, hey, go make disciples. What is that saying to us? That is saying to us, that verse and these verses, we can't do this apart from togetherness, community. It makes sense why Jesus would say in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Again, that, that Christ in us kind of love. That you also love one another. Listen to this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love, love for one another. If you just showed me verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If I didn't already know this verse existed, say, hey, what question, what is the this? There's a lot of things I would fill in the blank with. A dynamic church service. Then they'll know the word of his disciples. A, a, a great theology that's all packed around with good doctrine and good things around me. That's how they'll know we're his disciples. Jesus says, here's how they'll know that you are my disciples. The way you love each other. Again, for me, that's tough. Because I'm, I'm a to-do list guy. So give me the list of things to do so they'll know that I'm his disciple. And Jesus is like, it's not a to-do list thing. It's a life thing. Love the people that God has placed around you. Love them fiercely. Love them when it hurts. Love them when it's easy. And that's how people will say, hey, what's going on? That's how people show up to your small group like they did in the book of Acts and start knocking on the door and saying, what's going on here? Because it's radical and I want to be a part of it. Relationships in God's family are to be a testimony to the world about the, G about the difference Jesus makes. We need each other. First, to grow in our relationship with God. Second, to walk through the ups and downs in life. And lastly, to accomplish the mission. As we close today, I want to share with you a book that, um, that Pastor Tony Coniglia shared with me this week. Tony is our Hope Kids pastor. And it's actually a book for parents. It's a really good book, by the way. I was thumbing through it this week just in preparation of the message. And it has nothing to do with the message. But I was like, man, that's amazing. It basically walks through all the different phases of your kid's life. And I love how it does it. It's called It's Just a Phase, So Don't Miss It. And what it does is it characterizes each phase of a child's life with kind of a banner statement that can characterize that phase. And then it gives the, the child's perspective on what they're thinking in that phase. Really helpful. 
but I thought it's a great way to illustrate this idea. Here's what it says when it's talking about kids zero to one year old. Praise Jesus, my wife and I are past that phase, but I got a lot of friends that are in that phase. Here's the banner statement on that phase zero to one. Nobody sleeps, everybody smells. That's true. And praise God, my oldest is, my youngest is five, and we are past the baby. I love holding babies, and I love giving them back to mom and dad, right? You're beautiful, you're cute, but I don't want you, right? We did it. We got it. Here's the child's perspective from zero to one. I love this because it's so true. I need you now. So it doesn't matter if you're cuddled up and you got the, you're, you're like, deep in that REM sleep. You're like five hours in and you are deep in that REM sleep. If something goes wrong with that baby, guess what? I need you now. Like it don't matter what you think, mom and dad, I need you. If you're sitting up with that bowl of popcorn in a great movie and you're getting ready to have a little date night at home with your spouse, I don't care. I need you now. We see that in babies, right? We all understand that. And then there's a shift that takes place. And this is where I'm living. <laughs> where it stops being I need you now and it starts to be like, I got this. I can do this on my own. And that's where we're living right now. And sometimes it hurts my, I'm, I'm kind of a control freak, if you can't tell. So like, I'm watching my kids try to do things on their own, whether that's make their own lunch or dress themselves. Oh my gosh, sometimes they dress themselves and it looks like they got in a straight up fight with their closet and the closet won, right? They come out. My, my, my son Blaine, he was in the last service. He might have been wearing them last service. That dude will wear 110 degrees. He'll wear rain boots and like tie pants. I got him from Thailand and a shirt that doesn't match at all. And he's ready to go to Home Depot. And my dad heart goes, oh, buddy. And that's obviously not a serious one. But there's some serious ones that my kids are saying, I got this, dad. They're flexing their independence muscles. And they're trying to say, I don't need you. I got this. And there's times when I want to enter in and I have to pray through my wife and I have, when do we tell them this is not mom and dad's best for you? I know you're trying to be independent, but this isn't the best for you. Here's what I think. I think there's two philosophies maybe at Hope Church. There's some of you that would be amening everything we said today because you've experienced it. You've made many 2 a.m. phone calls. You're like, man, I went through so much junk in my life, the highs, the lows. If I didn't have my Hope Church family, if I didn't have my boys or my girls or my small group, I don't think I could have made it. I need my people. And you've experienced life as it's intended to be lived in community. But there's another group of people at Hope. And I've been there, walked through seasons where if you were honest and you were just transparent before the Lord. You would say, man, I hear all this. I see Acts 2. I see it all. But here's the deal. Like, I can do this on my own. I got this. And here's what I hope you hear from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit today. That is not your Father's best for you. That's not how He designed it to work. So you're trying to flex your independent muscles over here. He's trying to say, that's not how I meant it to be. I meant it to, as you abide in me, that abiding relationship spills out in community. And eventually as that community continues to build and grow, people are gonna take notice and you're gonna see what it really looks like to live the life of a Jesus follower, how I intended it. Stop running from my best for you. You and I were designed to live in community. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we have discussed your word today. God, in your word, you 
tell stories of when you would say things to people and they would be a hard saying. People would walk away because they would say, that was a hard saying. I know today we've heard some hard sayings. But God, we've prayed all day as a team that the Holy Spirit of God would work and move and take your word and change people. So I pray as we respond for just a minute, Lord, you would just continue to do that. We trust you for that. You're the boss. You're in control. We trust you to move and work and show people, every person in the room, what's my next step? As we take just a couple minutes to respond. One of the things God put on my heart this morning is not to try to fill in the blanks with what the Holy Spirit might be saying to some of you. I'm guilty of coming up here sometimes and kind of listing off a list of things you can do out of the message. God kind of challenged me like, just let me work in people's hearts. I know them better than you do. So I just challenge you to just ask the Lord, what, what would he have you do out of this? Maybe nothing. Maybe you're just loving life and community. Praise God, keep going. But maybe you know there's, some, there's a step that God's putting on my heart to take. We have opportunities for you to take that step. We want to try to help you live in community. So maybe it's talking to somebody at the Next Step Center about that. Maybe it's coming up here in just a minute and being prayed for. One of the things we always want to make sure we share with people is we understand that some of you are not a part of our family because you're not a believer in Jesus. Everything we've talked about today has been centered on if you have a relationship with God, that overflows into community. So if you don't have a relationship with God, that's step one. I want you to know today that God, the God of the universe has done everything needed to be done to have a relationship with you. There was a massive dividing wall called your sin and my sin. And Jesus came, paid the penalty that we were guilty and we needed to pay. And he said, it is finished. Come because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation to you today is Jesus. A friendship with Jesus. Maybe today as we respond, you just need to come tell a pastor, I want more information about what it looks like to follow Jesus. For others of you, it is as a follower of Jesus already, what's my next step in the family? Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I pray you'd listen. Obey what the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to each and every one of us. Maybe you just want to come be prayed for things going on in your life. Again, this is part of our family dynamic. Every single week we have an opportunity to come be prayed for. What is God, man, what are some things you're walking through financially, health-wise, family, whatever is going on every week, we love to pray with and for our people. So Holy Spirit, I pray you do what you do. We trust you right now as we worship you, as we sing to you. I pray that every person would walk in obedience to your spirit. In Jesus' name.